Hi, this is Emily Gibson, co-executive director and co-founder of ATX Television Festival. And this is Jennifer Morgan, director of programming. And you're listening to the TV Campfire. This week, we have a double feature, if you will, of our Q&As from Season 8 of ATX of Grownish and Good Trouble, both presented by Freeform. Freeform has been a partner of ours for a number of years now and has been an amazing partner and brought us so much great programming, including these two screenings and Q&As, both of which were new episodes, right, Jen? Mm-hmm. Which is also really fun. Yeah. So we're going to start off with Grownish. And then make sure you keep listening for good trouble. But Gronish is definitely something we asked for early on. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are, you know, fans of Blackish, obviously, and really enjoyed the first season of Gronish. It just has such an interesting vibe. And we, we had a conversation also hosted by Freeform last year that was about, um, like, millennial and Gen Z storytelling. And I think these shows are both really at the forefront of that right now. Gronish is is doing so many interesting things and really making, like, room to have these just, like, set-piece conversations between their characters that, like, you just don't see anyone else having right now. What I love about both of them, so I watched The Fosters and then watched Good Trouble. Mm-hmm. So I definitely have that backstory and into and can see the difference between just in the basic filming of The Fosters and Good Trouble. Mm-hmm. I have seen a handful of episodes of Blackish, but mm-hmm. it's one of those that's on my list of like, you should really go back and actually watch this. Um, but I started Grownish from the beginning, and having not been that familiar with Blackish from an you know, episode-to-episode basis, could jump right into Grownish without it mattering yeah. at all. Yeah. And which th- is really I th- nice. I think you can do the same thing with Good Trouble. Like, it's not the, you know, they're... Original series are not at all, like, prerequisites to jump into these by any means. But, I, I mean, you know, it's always, like, a richer text, you know, yes. if you have, like, the the backgrounds of, you know, the families and stuff um, for both of these shows. But what I love about Grownish is it feels like it is for a completely different audience mm-hmm. than Blackish. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Blackish fans can watch Grownish and enjoy it. But yeah. Grownish is really hitting. I mean, one, it's on a completely different channel, but it's really hitting younger and newer audiences in a way of it's still dealing with a lot of social issues and a lot of really cool subjects and an amazing cast, but it's for a completely different generation. So in this conversation with Gronish, uh, the executive producer, Craig Doyle, really makes a point to to talk about how cognizant, you know, their writer's room is of tackling these major social issues like mental health and cultural appropriation without sounding like, you know, an after school special or a PSA or something and really giving using these characters as a way to present these different points of view that are authentic without having them you know without without it coming off as as a judgment or telling the audience what to think um because i think that's that's how you lose gen z viewers is telling them what they should be doing or how they should be thinking about a thing uh, um, yes and i think you know both both of these shows are really great about um bringing these different topics to the forefront without letting you form your own, you know, opinion and really like empathize with these characters. What I think is interesting, not to bring it back to our other favorite show of the summer, um, Euphoria, which we did premiere at the festival and the Q&A is on our YouTube channel, ATX Festival. You should be watching the show and go watch the Q&A because it's amazing. But these are two teen shows mm. that are 
extremely different. And I guess grownish, they're a little bit older because they're in college. Mm-hmm. But they're both dealing with a lot of a lot of issues, a lot of things. And uh, even though they're shot so differently, have such different tones, such different entry points, they are both. You just said it very non-judgmental about what these people are going through. Mm. It's not preachy. It's not trying to tell people that they're right or wrong. It's very much a, this is just, this is the life that they're living. And these are the things that they're going through and they're trying to figure out. And uh, it's interesting because both Zendaya and Yara both narrate the shows, right? Mm -hmm. And that they are narrating it with non-judgmental tones, which I think helps set the stage of when you enter in. That you're, as of you, are entering in that way as well. Yeah. And they both do an amazing job of putting characters around those protagonists that really, like, challenge their their worldviews and sort of open them up to other points of view, um, which Good Trouble also does very well. Obviously, Callie is very, since she, you know, was on The Fosters, like, is a, is a has a very strong point of view and is constantly in Good Trouble, like, bumping up against characters that that push her in different directions and and try to, like, challenge her sort of, uh, not her foundation, but just bring bring new things into her world um, and to watch her go through that um, the same way that Zoe does, you know, on uh, Grownish is really interesting. I also have to say, sadly... There's always someone at the festival that I miss seeing completely, and the Gronish cast was one of those that I I had on my my list that we all make of who do we really want to meet and see and interact with. And I mean, I just think Yara Shahidi is the coolest, and this whole cast is amazing, and they're young and they're up and comers, and I think they're doing phenomenal things. Did not even see them. Yeah, I did get a chance to talk to the the Good Trouble group um, and sort of like gush over how much I love the show and how it's my appointment viewing. Because it it definitely is, and you should go catch up on Hulu <laughs> or Freeform if you haven't already. But yeah, they're two really like amazing groups of people, and these uh, writers and executive producers are just very aware and empathetic of of these newer generations coming up, and like have a lot of respect for these cast members who, like you said, are are doing all these other things. They're directing. They're producing. They're you know, they have music careers like on their own, you know, outside of these shows, but they really have like a respect and a partnership with them that I think makes the shows even better. Totally agree. So here is the Gronish Q&A and then stay tuned afterwards for Good Trouble, which will be the second part of this podcast. Hey, guys, what did you think? Uh- I'm Amanda Duca. I'm with Deadline. Um, thank you guys for all being here. This show is really important. Um, this show is really relevant, and I think it embodies everything that we've been asking for during this whole new era of TV. So I want to go ahead and introduce some of the people that are responsible for bringing this amazing television to us. Oh, I'm so high. Okay, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> um, so we are going to start with the executive producer and writer, Craig Doyle. Here he comes. <laughs> and then we have the one and only Yara Shahidi. <laughs> Thank you. 
and uh, Francia Raisa. She'll be on next. <laughs> and then we have Jordan Buhat. <laughs> and then, of course, last but certainly not least, Trevor Jackson. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Oh. <laughs> Trevor, you have to answer her. <laughs> yes, no, maybe. I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, yes, we got some good fans over here. <laughs> Oh, wow. Hey. Hey. That. <laughs> that jacket, though, that's pretty sick. It's pretty tight. <laughs> so I, first, I want to give a shout out to uh, Chloe and Hallie, who couldn't be here um, yes. due to scheduling. But, they, but they, they couldn't be here, but they were scheduled to be here. So we just wanted to acknowledge them, and they'll be here in spirit. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. So I kind of want to get into this whole girl talk, uh, girl code thing, and maybe the audience can weigh in on what their opinions are about what is girl code. So is it against girl code to, if, if a friend dates a guy that you had a thing with, but never, never anything official, but there was like a thing? What do you guys think? Is that against girl code or? Yeah. Oh, it is. <laughs> I think, uh, hey guys, how's everybody doing? We know how those two are doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't know how you're doing. Does anyone else have a jacket with one of our pictures on? <laughs> I hope well, it's a jacket with Craig's face on it. Quick. A, <laughs> I apologize. It just all you need is a picture of a white walker, <laughs> and then you got me. So uh, no, but uh, to your point, uh, how about come on, give her a round for Amanda here. Come on. Thank you. So nice. Thank you. Uh, I think well, we, I, I, I'll throw it to the to the group, but uh, in our writers' room. Uh, we had a very big debate about this because a lot of people feel like there was not uh, that uh, Zoe's character did not have uh, the precedent to have such a reaction and that maybe there was more there there. Uh, and some people felt like it was completely justified. So I think we were surprised in our experience at how down the middle it was. Yeah. So we figured, well, if that's a cross section of our audience, maybe they will have the same thing and it will create a cool scenario for Yara's character to be able to... Uh, to kind of explore and kind of get into the real of, of that scenario. Uh, Zoe, uh, boy, oh, sorry, Zoe. Sorry. <laughs> Yara, why do you think Zoe reacted the way she reacted initially? Well, I mean, Trevor's been, or Aaron, goodness, <laughs> all the characters. Um, Aaron's been Zoe's like day one love from the pilot. You see her acting a complete fool as soon as she meets Aaron. And so I think that's a storyline that we've tracked as an audience. And then it's just as a character, he's been on Blackish, he's been, and then we've been on this journey together in which he's that person for her until the introduction of Luca. And so I get why it feels like such a monumental moment when she realizes that her absolute bestie, and we've already gone through so much together on the show, is now with this person that she almost, I feel like, had him saved. <laughs> like, even though she didn't like that, choose yeah. him, yeah, yeah, yeah. she just wants to know that she's there and he's there. And it makes sense because Zoe selfishly just wants all the options all the time. That's being you. Uh, so for uh, Francia and Trevor, now that Zoe is on board with Aaron and Anna, what, what can we expect from this relationship? Is it officially official? Is there still... 
Like, what is it? What is what's the what's the label? Is there a no label like millennials? Oh, you saw how she tried to slide that on. Um, I don't know. I think uh, I think it's still the early to say, but I think it's I think they can both go into it now without feeling so. Um, I don't know, like not themselves. They can kind of just be more free in it, and uh, I think that's all you ever want when you're going into a situation. You don't want to feel like you have to be a certain way because of someone else in the friend group. So I think they just feel more free in the relationship, whatever that relationship is. Yeah, to touch on that, I think it is still early to say. I mean, before she even. When she was talking to the girls in the first episode, she said, you know, I actually don't even know what this is. So I didn't know what to tell Zoe. And now that the, you know, see the cat's out of the bag, it's now it's the awkward conversation. What is this? So we do touch on that, but I'm not going to give too much away because Craig's staring at me. <laughs> I'm staring like Dante. Dante. Uh, well, we talk about like the idea of a situation ship, like the idea that that is a new term that kind of came in, you know, I'm an old man. So like when I hear these things, I'm like, what? And I put my horn in my ear and I go, oh, that's what it is. But I think that a generation is so against labels. Like uh, it's it's uh, kind of the Gen Z. It's, labels are such a kind of a pejorative thing to put on someone. So it even I think it cascades down into the interaction and the personal relationships we have. We don't want to name it because we don't want to put our feelings out too far. So we kind of keep it at an arm's length with this almost other label of situationship. So I think um, we were fascinated with that that uh, phenomenon, and I think you'll see a little bit of that explored going forward, and these these two kooks do amazing work with it. I think you'll be very, very uh, happy and heartbroken and, and excited and very thrilled and, and, and all those great emotions you get with a good, uh, a good little romance. So... Uh, so, Yara, Zoe has seemingly solved two of her pressing issues, which is obviously resolved with Luca and um, Anna and Aaron, but she still has a big issue with her dad <laughs> and being cut off. Where, where are we going to see that go this season? Are we going to see a resolve? Yeah, I mean, we do get resolve in a, in a sense. What I really appreciate is that this is the first time in which Zoe is genuinely out of her bubble because she's always had that kind of socioeconomic status to fall back on. You see that in Blackish. You see it here. And so even those moments in which she is, um, I think connected to the world around her, there's still that layer of the class system and the fact that she has been raised into this wealthier experience and she's used to a certain lifestyle. And so her being cut off is such a monumental shift. And I really do appreciate just kind of the journey that the entire girl group goes on then because a lot of her friends are like, well, this is what we've been dealing with since day one, and she's been the one that's been out of touch. And I think that even leads to a lot of fun moments with Vivek. Um, and so it ends up being a really cool way to uh, move into this second half of the season two, because she has to now really be about something, and she can no longer just kind of traipse about. Just sort of bouncing off of that, uh, Jordan, I want to... I wanna, uh get to you. I respect Vivek's hustle. Like, <laughs> um, and then also him being first generation is something that I can relate to because I'm first generation American, Nigerian American. Are we going to get more of his backstory? Because I'm, I'm really interested to see a bit more of his background. Yeah. As the season goes along, we're going to get a little bit more Vivek and, you know, the writers do an excellent job of especially in this season of flushing out all the characters. Now, as you can see, like in that episode, um, Hallie's characters are like really starting to flourish. And you're like, what? That's what you're about? <laughs> um, so yeah, you can expect like the same things from Vivek and really dig deep into how the things we spoke about in season one are affecting him even now. So 
Yeah, and we've already seen the beginning of that in the episode prior to this, in which we have that kind of heart-to-heart moment, which is really the first time we've ever really had that deep conversation since season one. And I feel like that also represents just how the new dynamics presented in new relationships are shifting the entire friend group. I think uh, one of the other things is that when we did our first season, we did 13 episodes. So you, you know, you're spreading the narrative over 13 episodes. We're doing, we did 21 for the season two. So we got a little bit more real estate to be able to step certain things out, slow play some of the relationships, some of the stuff that uh, you guys will eventually see. So I think you'll be happy with uh, getting into that, into that because we're like, uh, like Jordan had referred to. It's like, I think we have a little bit more time to be able to do it. Whereas in the first uh, season, we were kind of in a rush. I mean, her relationship with, with Cash Mooney went for three episodes. It was like beginning, middle, end. It was like, wait, what? It was like, it was crazy. We didn't get to slow play it. Whereas now you're seeing her with Luca going through what a college relationship, the ups and downs and the little mini fights and the big fights and all this stuff that you have. And you're seeing it also with Chloe and uh, Diggy Simmons uh, relationship in this episode, the ups and downs and the little mini power plays we have in with the people that we love, all the games we love to play. So um, we'll see a little bit more of that, and I think uh, I think um, we'll have a little bit more um, uh, get into everybody's life a little bit better. So speaking of Luca, I love how patient and forgiving he is with Zoe. (laughs) Does Zoe see him sort of as like Endgame? Or (laughs) I have to disagree. (laughs) Well, he. Well, I mean, she she kind of gives him some 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 shit though, and he's like. (laughs) <laughs> I think we're mistaking his nonchalance for patience. That's true. That, could, that could be it. That could be it, honestly. <laughs> um, he just takes a long time to process it. Um, although I, I do appreciate how much we differ. And I love, I think what's hard is we're asking questions about how the season plays out. And we cannot give right. that away. I have to ask. Yeah. But uh, to, I guess, tease into it, I, I love, to your point, just that we get to experience all of the ups and downs and we get to experience the moments in which at first it seems like we're really similar but that's because we came into this relationship as two fashion majors of the same kind of upper echelon of this with the same type of goals and as we've seen Zoe's now switched her major trying to figure out what she's doing so she's realizing and I think he's realizing that they're not as similar and so I, I think they end up having to figure out like what's actually tying them together because it's no longer these surface level similarities um, and I also, I want to ask, I know you guys can't give us love, but I want to ask about guest stars because we obviously we saw uh, Marcus in this Who's episode. the best, right? <laughs> yes. uh, how about uh, Marcus, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We heard you guys react. We had Marcus. That was exactly what we wanted. We wanted us, you to see like when that comes in. And then it was already announced that Jordan Woods is going to be in the season. Jordan Woods will, be, uh, will um, be appearing. Can you tell us anything? Kate Manick, who is uh, from the L Word and a really, really mm-hmm. wonderful actor, Ray Donovan. We've had uh, the luxury of having uh, a presence like her and, and her ability. It just I feel like those scenes with uh, when you see Emily Arlick and, and Kate work together, it's it just it gives us such a different look to the show and yeah. makes it kind of expands the margins of the show and makes it feel like it's more relatable and different ways or something for everybody to kind of identify with and be able to kind of latch on to. Is there any more guest stars, oh, you guys? Yeah. DC Youngfly. Oh, yeah, yeah. DC Youngfly. He is the best to work with. Just laughing the entire time on set. It doesn't feel like work. Well, it never feels like work working with these guys, but he um, he's definitely was a good addition, I feel like, for sure. Can we can we get a tease of Jordan and DC since they've already been announced? <laughs> can we get a tease of what their who their characters are? 
Uh, DC is a guy uh, who is uh, one of the Hawkins residents. He's a student there, and uh, if you guys are familiar with him through his Instagram and his profile, this is a dude that is very funny, very, very energetic, and uh, he brings that to us. So we got that. Uh, Jordan is another resident of the uh, Hawkins dorm, which is the um, uh, which is the uh, the black dorm where the, the black and African American students uh, are, um, and he's a resident he's she's a resident there and she has uh, a story we're doing later on that she has a, has a big part of i don't want to tease okay, too okay so we'll see her multiple times uh we'll see her okay okay i'll take it i'll take it um i think i mean obviously a big reason why this show is as popular as it is is because it tackles really uh prevalent and pertinent issues that are currently within the zeitgeist. And I know, Trevor, you have an interesting storyline with the mental illness. Mm. Um, is there anything you can kind of tease about about that and about his his sort of his sort of involvement with that? Your well, part? I think Aaron is always trying to better himself and uh, the people around him and his cause and his movement. And uh, I think that's something just in general that we shy away from. And that's typically the most important things we shy away from. But that's why I love this show. Um, and so, yeah, I think he just wants to step up and make sure he's uh, turning over all stones. You know, and I think that's one that really affects a lot of people, especially when you're in transition from becoming a boy to a man, a, a girl to a woman. So. Um, yeah, he's just trying to do what he has to do for his people, you know. Craig, I know you guys. You guys are talking about. <laughs> um, you guys are also talking about cultural appropriation. Is there any other social issues that you can sort of? Uh, cultural appropriation comes into play. I feel like one of the things that is really interesting that we brought up in our writers' room is that uh, African American culture and hip hop culture is pop culture. It's that the top ten songs are all hip hop songs. So if a little kid goes and starts to dress like like I did with dressing like. Prince or somebody like that, you don't know that you- I need you, those photos. Yes, you don't want that. Uh, I was more like the one of the, the surgeon that played keyboards that just had a, anyway, the, uh, but, uh, but uh, yes, we, we kind of, we, you know, the show, Kenya Barris, our, our, our creator and our kind of our spirit animal, uh, he likes to, you know, make sure that, he always asks us, what do we say? And uh, when we go into a story, as much as like this one was about beefs and kind of like how beefs are, uh, how we deal with conflict and kind of resolution and fast apologies and actually how do you really apologize? It's like, wow, you said sorry, but you didn't say it in a sorry way. That kind of a feeling and all those kind of things. Um, so uh, Kenya, with Kenya's um, uh, kind of magnetic north, we're always kind of trying to steer into those things. So you will see more of those kind of a thing. Uh, the mental health thing off of, uh, uh, off of Trevor's thing. Uh, we were we were fascinated with the idea that um, in the African American community, a lot of men um, do not seek out mental health uh, therapists, psychiatrists, whatever. And and uh, there's a uh, that was just a statistical fact. And we were like, well, why is that? And then also in pop culture, you have rappers like Lil Xan, and everyone's talking about how depressed they are. So it's in the it's in there's there's a reconciliation to be made. And we were just kind of making a comment on that, and and we thought that it would be really interesting to have Trevor, who's a socially conscious character on the show, kind of tackle something that wasn't necessarily the most on-the-nose uh, issue that yeah. would be facing it. So something a little, little bit different. So that's kind of, but we, we continue to do those kind of things. And then along the lines of, of just the relevance, I know uh, something that's in the conversation, especially when it comes to college students, is voting. Um, and with the, with the upcoming election, is that something that the show is going to tackle? Well, we, 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 you know, here's the thing with the show that's that to your point, and this is a delicate balance. I think, uh, you know, to let you guys under the in, inside the, the tent is a little bit of um, the thing is, is when you do socially try to do a socially conscious show, it's really hard not to make it a PSA. Right. You don't want it to sound like an after school special, of like don't do drugs. Don't do this. 
So when it's in the forefront, it tends to be something that you guys are a savvy TV audience. You're going to smell it out and go, that isn't authentic, right? So we, are we plan to talk about it. We're going to be doing some stuff with it, but we're going to kind of try to do it in, hopefully in a way that feels a little more organic and feels authentic. But um, that said, of course, voting is so important. We're in a, we're in a crossroads right now, and it's, it's a big part on campus and a big story on campus, campuses across the United States. So we definitely get into it, but maybe not in the, in the, in the way you might think. I do want to say, sorry, just to tack on that, one thing I do love about the show is every subject that we talk about, we never try and sway from one side to the other. We just kind of give you an even playing field and allow the audience to kind of, you know, pick their, their idea of what is right. And that's what I love about it. Like you said, it's not like pre-G, it's not PSA. It's just kind of like, hey, this is what we feel like the truth is. And what do you guys kind of have to say about it? So I love the show for that reason. Well, it's because there's a whole group of friends and a whole group of friends you're going to have all the different ideas. So, you know, we, you might be able to relate to one of them, but you won't be able to relate to all the other ideas. So, you know, maybe we'll talk about it, but it'll be brought up in so many different kinds of views that you could, you know, take the view of one of them, not all of them. Which is why I do the voting work as Yara. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, clap. That's, definitely that is, it's very important follow her lead with with voting if you know people who are not registered you know young people who are just turning 18 uh the initiatives yara has been spearheading with this are are next to none and and you guys please share that information willing we need to uh we need to make sure that we uh, are, are heard and represented in the right way I agree. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I agree. Very good point. Thanks, Very my good. friend, two friends in the second row. So now that now that the eight, oh, I guess eight now, because uh, Diggy's character is um, a series regular now, now that they sort, they're in their sophomore year, they've kind of settled, they, they formed their friend group. What, what are we going to see them getting into? And I just particularly am wondering how, if, if the, and this is just an idea. This I don't know. I don't know if you guys are working are on this. Pitching but, you right now. <laughs> but um, when I think of uh, you know, obviously, especially being amongst a predominantly white college, being black students, I think about Greek life and tackling that. So is that something that you guys are going to talk about? And also, who's the most likely person to join Greek life out of everybody? I will throw that. I, I will yeah, say that. Kenya was always, uh, when we first started the first season talking about the show, we felt like Greek life was something you see a lot on TV. There was a show called Greek. I think they're here at ATX. Oh, I love that show. They, it was a great show. Love a huge Greek. Fan. But, you know, Blue Mountain we've seen those kind of things. Uh, we've seen those kind of stories. And he was more concerned with trying to show the other side of it, the kids that didn't join frats. And, and, but Greek life is, is, so, is so huge. So uh, we don't really kind of go in it um, – straight on, but we definitely, it's in the margins, I would say. Um, but um, I would love to hear yeah. what everyone else thinks. Who do you guys think is the most likely out of you got your group to join a Greek? Well, Greek Vivek group. didn't join, but he, <laughs> he was hanging out. He slept on the couches. He slept on the couches. <laughs> You're welcome. I don't know if he was actually, you know, allowed to be in the frat, whether I, I'd like to think that he applied and they said no. Um, but I think that he would you know he likes to experiment try different <laughs> communities so i think that he would love to be in a friend um but so there was slight mention of it especially with baldy's crew in the first season uh he did hang out with them a lot um yeah so he, there was a slight touch of it um, I'm going to throw it to the audience in, in a second, but I want to ask, obviously the show is coming back for a third season. Congrats on that. Um, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> 
do you guys have an idea of where you want this show to go in terms of, do you feel it could go beyond, sort of like a, a different world? Um, now, do you see, can, can you see it going beyond the college years? Because it's grown-ish, so that can encompass. Um, I, 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 PhD-ish? PhD-ish. <laughs> grown-ish could be anything. <laughs> Does Zoe get there? That would be following Anna, for sure. Um, well, I feel like part of paying homage, and correct me if I'm wrong, is not trying to replicate. Um, I, I think a part of just conceptualizing this show and from whenever I get to step into the writer's room and look at all of your amazing minds is that a different world has set up such a beautiful space for us to play and we are grateful for that show but there's no need to try and be like that show because they've done it so perfectly so why try and do it again and and so a part of paying homage is really embracing the space they've given us for opening that door and creating a space in which we can see brown people in college going through life Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, look, the show originally, when I, my, my, my ABC Disney badge says college-ish. That was the name of the show. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, can you change it to grown-ish? Because I think the idea, to your exact point, this feels bigger than just college. We didn't want to be just painted into uh, like a four-year window where we just see this, this section, and, you know, people cruise through and kind of cruise out. Um, we have that luxury if we wanted to do that, but I think the idea of being grown and a lot of the struggles that Zoe goes through, um, that Yara plays so perfectly, are things you go through that aren't the proud moments of growing up. Right. It's when you were wrong. It's when you were gross, when you weren't cool to somebody. That's what we try to show is this woman here who is so <laughs> lovely and yeah. great and who has been, you know, is, is in her, on Blackish is the perfect child, right. is to sit there and throw some mud on that and be in a place where we get to watch her struggle. And we were hoping that, you know, those people out there that watch the show that felt like, oh man, I, I thought she was, you know, I didn't relate that way to the point where they over-relate. And that was the hope. So whatever those stories and that instinct and that, you know, magnetic north takes us, if that takes us beyond into the career-ish, whatever that may be, where <laughs> I think we're open to everything. We've got great partners with the studio and ABC and with Freeform, and everybody's been so open and great. We were all kind of finding this together and, and having fun, but it's been, um, I, I can imagine it going way beyond, and I can imagine it also staying in its, in it, within its kind of uh, the parameters that it, it, it's currently in. But, um, you know, I, I, Yara said it great. You can't copy different. Right. Well, it's a right. f- perfect show. I mean, yeah. you know, me as a little white kid from Orange County, I was watching it and going, oh my God, this is great. So it's like, they did it great and across, you know, across boundaries. And so we wouldn't want to try to replicate that. We want to pay homage and try to try to do something that expands that uh that experience so yeah, no, i think the show definitely has done a good job of forming forming its own identity even even um with it even it from blackish its predecessor it definitely has it has stood out um i think and i think there's characters that everybody or whoever is watching can relate to there's somebody that you can kind of sort of be like oh this is you know i i i went through this so this is me um so i'm gonna get to audience, audience questions before we have to wrap up does anybody have i think i don't think there's mics so if you, if you want to, you can just be super loud and I'll repeat your questions for you if there's no questions. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so that was really great. And Yara, you're just so amazing. And I think you all are so amazing. Thank you. I love that you do. And I was just wondering if you think that you're ever going to get into directing or producing or even acting in like documentaries. Or, well, I just like to get a good feel of that. 
Yeah, well, I'm really excited because my family and I have our production company and we're we'll be excited to announce that soon, but we're working on two adaptations um, as we speak. And so producing is something that I've always been really interested in. Uh, and I directed my first short, which premiered at TIFF uh, this last year. And you can find that on YouTube. But I think what I love the most is that every single person on the stage is multivariate. You're a producer. If you want to talk about this project <laughs> happening right now. Uh, yes, that's produces something I've been wanting to get into myself. I've been in this industry for about 14 years now. And uh, last year I came across a story um, about a case that happened in 1947. Uh, California was actually the first state to desegregate schools seven years prior to Brown versus Board of Education, thanks to a Mexican-American family. Uh, I play Cuban, but I am Mexican and Honduran. And especially right now, I feel like it's a story that... Uh, my family, and I say my family because we all call each other mi gente, familia, that needs to know about because we also are a part of American history. So I'm currently working with the family right now on that story. So look out for it soon, hopefully. Are there any more? Okay, we have one. I've learned what the kids Everybody. do these days because I did not know what a Finsta was. I didn't go to college. So this is my college experience. And I'm really grateful because I get to, you know, pretend to be drunk on, on set. And it's okay. Does anybody else have anything to add? Okay. You learned? I, mean, I feel it's pretty representative of what college is like. I was in college for six years. And, <laughs> whew. Professional uh, student. Sorry? Professional student. Yeah, for real. And, and it's a lot it's a lot of the real stories, you know? I mean, whether or not I actually participated in some of the stories that we're telling on on screen, or I had friends of friends. I had friends of friends who were drug dealers. I know that. And like <laughs> I'm not about to raise your hand if you deal drugs. <laughs> Anyone else really? <laughs> But I mean, it's a real thing, and I, you know, so it's 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 really cool to see the stories come up as you know, as I as I kind of knew of them. Uh, one thing I do want to say is I'm glad that you guys changed the title to Grownish from Collegeish because I always relate to this show to Growing Pains, and even you know I'm I'm past this age and watching it, I'm still learning things that I'm kind of stuck in. So it almost helps open my mind a bit more because, you know, one day you turn 18 and everyone all of a sudden says you're an adult and you're like, what? I had to ask my mom permission for everything yesterday and then I'm filling out W-2s and I'm getting taxed. I'm like, what is happening right now? And I always said, I'm like, yeah, I'm grown-ish, kind of. I mean, I still look 16, but it's just the growing pains that we all go through and I just appreciate it so much because we have those, those aha moments. And those moments where we're like, oh, we're not crazy, and this is normal. Or we have those moments like, huh, I'm 30 years old, and I'm still thinking that way. Maybe I should check myself and get into therapy or something, you know? <laughs> so I appreciate that you guys did that, because that, I think that's why it makes it so relatable. Well, the word grown is subjective to every single person. Right. So yeah. grown-ish is inclusive to everyone, right. I yeah. think. I like no matter what age you are. And you're yeah. like, oh, man, I'm still figuring this out. Always <laughs> learning, always learning, always growing. I think the show, I always say, uh, I feel like the most fearful thing for anybody is to feel like they're alone in any, you know, context. And the show really just kind of puts your hand on your shoulders like, it's okay. Like, we all kind of go through similar things. Even just in, like, Zoe's 
you know, her relationships. I've, you know, there have been girls I've been with before, and I'm like, oh, that's the exact way that they, okay, so I'm not alone. She's not crazy. I'm not crazy. This happens, you know. <laughs> it's okay. It's normal. Yeah, I have to say, being I went, actually went to school at UT. I graduated from UT Austin. So hey, yeah. there we go. So it's important. <laughs> So being here and talking to you guys is bringing back a lot of memories, um, good and bad. Uh, but, <laughs> but this was great. Um, thank you guys for being here. Thank you guys for being here and supporting the show. So, um, uh, Ronis premieres. I don't watch like Ronis premieres. One. We're on, Wait, we're what on, were you about to say? <laughs> I don't watch live TV. I know no one does. Right? I don't have a kid. For any of you people who are still tied to uh, Direct TV or Interspectrum, yeah. whatever the heck you are, I, it's on. It, it, it premieres on. Um, uh, it premiered last Wednesday, uh, June fifth. Uh, the season two B premiere yeah. um, was uh, this last Wednesday. It's every Wednesday at uh, eight o'clock wherever you are. Yeah. So uh, check it out, and if not, find it through the free it's format. On Hulu. I watch it on Hulu, Hulu <laughs> wherever it is. Okay. Yeah, it's on yes. Hulu by. Night? Yeah, yeah. Yes, and we have uh, we have some more episodes for you that'll finish the rest of this season and season three. We are currently in the writer. Well, they're in the writers room now. Um, I'm here, <laughs> <You're> here. <laughs> drinking beer with you guys. <laughs> Let's keep this going. So I don't yeah, have to go back. No, thank you guys for being here. Thank you. Oh, thank you all for coming. Thank you so much. Good Trouble really came about. We definitely asked for it from Freeform, but it started because we were huge fans of The Fosters. So if you don't know, The Fosters is a show that was on for a number of years on Freeform, and this is a spinoff where they follow two of the characters embarking on young adulthood in Los Angeles. I have a question. Yeah. Did you discover The Fosters because of Peter Page? I discovered The Fosters yes and no. I'm actually. I'm going to lean more towards no. I think that I was more excited about it because of Peter Page. Okay. So I was a huge Queers Folk fan, and Peter was you one of are, the stars. You I are am. a huge. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't present tense. <laughs> I am a huge Queers Folk fan, and Peter Page, who was one of the stars of Queers Folk, co-created The Fosters, mm-hmm. and I really one. I love any shows that have teenagers in it, as we all know. I'm a big fan of. Previously, ABC Family, now Freeform shows. And I think it's because when I lived in L.A., I worked with a lot of foster kids. And so I think a show that's centered around a family with foster children was very interesting to me. And then really, once I started watching it, it's such a beautiful show. It just... It's this great family dynamic. It's got an incredibly diverse cast, and that's diverse across... Sexuality. Sexuality, ages, religions all the above but at the end of the day it's this beautiful family show that I feel like the heart of it rivals like a parenthood heart mm-hmm. I mean they're very different shows but when you have these families that have a lot of drama as they should on TV shows mm-hmm. but when they can all come together around the dinner table and you just feel that sense of love and watching it and you want to be part of that family that's when you know oh this is a great show Yeah, and like any great show they all should end and so <laughs> Just they shouldn't go on forever. That's just a thing. Tell that to the Simpsons. I will not tell the Simpsons. <laughs> okay. Most 98% of shows should end. There are 2% that should never end. And Agreed. I'm just gonna let them keep going. Agreed. But when they announced the Fosters was ending, it was sad, but it was also okay, it's time. Everything that can happen to this family has happened to this family. But then when they decided or they announced that they were gonna do a spinoff with pretty much the two young female leads. Which is 
Sierra. Uh huh. Sierra and Maya. Mm-hmm. Sierra Ramirez and Maya Mitchell. Mm-hmm. I was like, will you correct I'm me? Gonna, I'm wrong yeah, on no, that. no, no. And they uh, played foster sisters and adopted sisters. And so this takes place a little bit after the finale. They move to Los Angeles and embark on kind of their first careers as adults. They're in their early 20s. The cool thing about this show is you definitely have the feel of the Fosters and the sense like there's a familiarity there. You know the characters. You know their backstory. Some of the other cast members do come in and do guest starring roles. But this is shot entirely different. It's the look of it, the feel of it. It's definitely a more adult version. And it's beautiful. The whole thing is beautiful and the things that they're going through. So... Jen and our director of programming and I definitely dove into the show as soon as it started airing and asked Freeform for it immediately. Yeah, I have been told in a way that summer catch-up viewing, this is on my list, I didn't watch The Fosters, which I will do, but I have been told specifically, one, that I can watch this without watching The Fosters. Yes. And two, that this is more in my wheelhouse from Jen. She told me that this is more in my wheelhouse. I feel like the only thing that you wouldn't get and watching this and not watching the Fosters are when they do have the guest stars mm-hmm. of the family. But you don't really, really need to yeah, know yeah, that. Yeah. You would have a little bit more backstory knowing everything they've been through. But you honestly, it would it's just as good without it. Well, what I think is cool is so this Q&A is with Maya and Sierra and then the one of the co-creators, writer, EPs, Joanna Johnson. I heard um, a side interview podcast, a press interview with Maya and Sierra from the festival. And one of the things they talked about in starting this show for themselves was that on The Fosters, Terry and Sherry, the moms, mm-hmm. uh, really set the tone. They were the they were the top of the call sheet for that show, and top of the call sheet sort of sets the tone for what is appropriate and how people act, and that they, in growing up kind of on The Fosters, very much— looked up to Terry and Sherry and, like, the tone that they set. And they were just, like, amazing leaders. And they were extremely aware that in starting Good Trouble that that would be them and how they would approach, like, stepping into the, like, in a in a next step, stepping into those shoes and that they were using Terry and Sherry as their models, like, off screen. I love that. Right? I uh, did make it a point because during the festival, we don't get to meet everyone. And sometimes we have to hunt, track people down mm-hmm. in order to at least say hi to them. And I definitely tracked Joanna down so I could sit and talk to her for a few minutes. She was on a few other panels. So I sat with her, I think before the ACLU panel mm-hmm. and talked to her for a bit and then found out that my NCR were going to be in the Roaring Fork in our industry lounge. Um, doing press. Doing press. Yep. This interview. I Probably heard. that interview. <laughs> and so I went down so that I could meet them as well. And Freeform's great partner. So I ran into the PR team from there. And got to talk to them for a few minutes, and they were just lovely. Yeah. Lovely and poised, but also, I mean, they're still young, Mm -hmm. and they were excited. I think they were going to go swimming in Barton Springs and enjoy Austin a little bit. Um, So you could tell that they are definitely strong leaders of their show and have a lot to say and care deeply about it, but then also, like, but we're still young, and we're going to— have fun in this city. Yeah, I do want to say, because you mentioned them, Freeform has been a partner of ours for a number of years. We got to do things like launch the bold type and a few other things. And it was really great this year to really approach the programming that we would showcase with them, which was this and Grownish, and really talking about what would fit best for the festival and then who should sit on that panel and would sort of fit best for that conversation. And they presented this panel and Grownish, and I just um, wanted to give them a shout out for being like very supportive network partners of ours and really understanding who our audience is and what the opportunity at the festival is for a show and taking advantage of that. I also have one more fun fact. Great. 
um, one of the producers of producer on The Fosters and now producer on Good Trouble. Um, his name is Wade Solomon, and we were assistants together on The Fox Lot. I knew The Fosters part. I didn't know he made The Good Trouble job. Yes. Yes. He sent me an email beforehand saying, our show is coming. Take good care of them. And I was like, nope, we don't nope. take good care of anyone that comes to the festival, <laughs> especially, especially something that you work on. Especially something that I love. I'm going to be terrible to them. <laughs> that he and his wife are a writing duo. And so they started out writing on The Fosters and then moved up to producers and now are producers on So they both are. Good Trouble. Yeah. Okay. I know that you just you and Wade were assistants together, yes. but when you didn't mention her name, I thought oh, no. she got Oh, no, I didn't know. I mean, Megan and I became friends. I would actually go over to their house and watch One Tree Hill. Great. Oh, you'd have One Tree Hill watching parties. The when that of reunion us. happens, maybe they'll come to oh, the festival. Yes, I know. I keep inviting them. They have two small children, so I understand why not. Soon they'll um, be small, though. Yeah, totally. Like, oh. Exactly. <laughs> then they can come to the festival and bring them. But yeah, but it's always, it's so much fun. People that we were assistants with, seeing them rise through the ranks as well and Someday, Wade and Megan will hopefully be panelists, and that's also, like, very cool. It's very cool. So, I guess with that, here is the Good Trouble Q&A that happened at ATX Season 8. It followed the premiere of this season, so there's no spoilers, just knowing that this Q&A is specifically after the pilot. And it is moderated by Brianne Heldman, Senior Editor of Television at People Magazine. My name is Brianne Heldman. I'm the senior TV editor at People Magazine. And I am so, hey, thanks guys. I am so lucky to be joined by this insanely badass trio of ladies today who haven't yet started on the stairs. <laughs> What'd you all think of that episode? Yeah? Amazing to see it back. Oh, here's this badass trio of ladies. We've got Sierra Ramirez. <laughs> Maya Mitchell. And chief badass showrunner Joanna Johnson. Hi, everyone. <laughs> so... The Fosters began in 2013. This journey presumably probably began even in 2012 with casting. Joanna, what was your first impression of these amazing ladies when you met them that many years ago? Well, um, is that working? Okay. I was um, brought in to run the show. Um, Peter and Brad, who wrote the pilot, um, they were the ones who did this brilliant casting, so I can't take credit for that. But when I met them, I thought Peter and Brad have good taste. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. When you guys auditioned, did you ever imagine that fast forward several years, you'd be getting your own spinoff, EPs? Like, Was that even something you even knew to dream about? Not at all. My audition was absolute trash, so <laughs> <laughs> I thought I blew it. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, you do a pilot, like, you don't even know if it's going to get picked up. Just cross so. your fingers and hope for the best. Or even a season two is great, mm -hmm. so to be still working together, like, what, six years later is wild. Yeah. So, Maya, what did you do to turn it around? Um, my manager begged our casting director to bring me back, and they did, so, yeah. What, <laughs> what did you have to do differently to show them that you had this in the bag? I was just so nervous. I'd like completely run out of money at that point and had to move back to Australia. 
So I was actually at home when I got the audition and I borrowed money from my parents and flew back to audition in person because I didn't want to risk it and send a tape. Um, and I was, I just like had put so much pressure on myself. And when I get nervous, I cannot even string a sentence together. So <laughs> yeah, it was just a disaster. So, yeah. Has that happened on set too? Have there, have you, there been moments where you just were really nervous yeah. and pressuring yourself about a scene? Yeah, definitely. I think anytime I have to like speak in front of an audience or something like those kind of scenes, especially on the Fosters, there was a lot of like protesting and stuff like that. That that was uh, that was always tricky, but you know, you get through it. <laughs> <laughs> Sierra, have there ever been any moments throughout the years that that you stumbled with and struggled with? Oh, absolutely. Um, there are a lot of times, you know, but I I think that's like what's so fun about it is stepping out of your comfort zone, I think the best things happen that way. Um, but yeah, no, it's, and I mean, we're with such amazing people that help, they help you calm, calm you down. So it ends up being really great. You guys have both growing up on this show. What's something that the characters have taught you personally that maybe you learned something about an issue or helped you really decide how you feel about something? I mean, I think for me, Mariana never takes no for an answer. And I Neither think, do you. <laughs> very true. But I mean, she has helped me re kind of really realize that, especially in this industry. It is kind of a no industry and it can get very, you know, you get attached to a role or an audition and really excited. And, um, you know, you get told no quite a bit. But um, if you just are super persistent in everything and um, just stay true to yourself, you'll make it happen one way or another for sure. Yeah, I think that's what's so incredible uh, incredible about this show is um, kind of how political it gets and how relevant it is um, just socially. And so I think it's put kind of a, a fire in our bellies. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we really care about what we're doing on the show. And for me, that's what I've taken from it. Well, speaking of, I mean, the Black Lives Matter subject is a big one for this show. Joanna, can you talk about why it's so important to be addressing this on television in a show for this audience specifically? Well, I think one thing that I've, I feel like in this country is that, you know, we don't talk about race enough and it makes very, people uncomfortable and it's a conversation that we need to have and not just after a tragic police shooting, but constantly. And, um, and sometimes the people who I think are most uncomfortable talking about race are white people. Um, you know, no one wants to feel that they're racist at all or that they have any biases. So they tend to say things like, oh, I'm colorblind, I don't see color. But that actually is erasing somebody's real experience because it's, there are differences. And to say, I don't see that you are different or have a different experience in our country than me is dismissing them. And um, when I was uh, writing the pilot, uh, Stefan Clark had just been shot and I thought, you know, we gotta keep talking about this, you know, and, and we gotta talk about excessive force. And very much like the character on Good Trouble, Jamal had a cell phone in his hand, which is what Stefan Clark had in his hand. And the definition of why police, when police are allowed to use excessive force, to me is far too broad, even though in California we have changed the law slightly but the Supreme Court basically tells the police in, in laws that, settled laws, that if a police officer has any kind of perception of a threat, they can shoot. And perception is subjective. 
And if you have biases that you're not aware of, especially against people of color, um, you're allowed to get away with that. So I just felt it was something really important to, to delve into. And then you can't tell that story without talking to Black Lives Matter. And so I reached out to Patrice Cullors, who's one of the co-founders, and I said, you know, Ooh. yeah, she's amazing. And um, asked, you know, would you, would you consult? Would you talk to us? And she was amazing. And, and now we've added her to the writing staff as well, which is really exciting. It is really incredible. It is really remarkable that this is a show, and I think this is the magic of the show, where you have these moving moments. I know Sierra was getting emotional just watching it now. Um, she cries every time. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> but to have a show where you have these huge issues and you're addressing them in this in this really real way, and then also mixed with the absolute hilarity of the Raj Mariana storyline, like, oh my god. But can you talk a little bit about finding, for all of you, finding that right note, finding when to hit the comedy, how much comedy to hit when you are hitting such important issues? I, I like to mix tone. That, when I, was, I remember when I saw Terms of Endearment um, years ago, and I'm laughing, this is a funny show, funny thing, and all of a sudden, what, she's dying? And all of a sudden, whoa, you know, and that had a profound effect on me about how amazing it is to laugh and cry, to have all of those feelings provoked inside of you, and that there's room for that, it, that you can go from something tragic and then have a laugh. You need to almost. Mm -hmm. So I love that part of the show. I started in comedy, um, and so I kind of always love to try to find the humor, and these two wonderful actresses have great comedic timing and, and you know... Really? You do. You're amazing. You do. So when, when you want, you say to Maya, "Maya's not the funniest character." No, but she, you no, are funny. Your looks to her, when oh, you, yeah. with the looks you give her, like are hilarious. They say it all. Yeah, and, and you just say to Maya, "She goes, oh, you want me to do the comedy? Got it." Um, so yeah, I mean, they they are so facile; they can do anything. So Thank there's you. nothing we can't write for them, and that's a dream. Absolutely. Um, can you also talk about, I mean, one of the things that's really fun about this show that's a big difference from The Fosters is the playing with time and using funky timelines and teases. Why do it for this show? And then have there been difficulties with it? Or has it just been an additional way to play? It, yeah, our brains are complete mush all oh, yeah. of the time. Because <laughs> scene numbers don't matter. So um, you're kind of all you're over another the place. element. It's just you're all over the place. Yeah, It's hard for the actors because you have to remind them of where they're at in the story because it's not done in a linear, which they ha they're used to doing anyway because we shoot out, we shoot out of sequence. So you, all, you, you know, we all, script supervisors or directors, try to help also say, no, this happens after this because you're used to shooting out of sequence. But I, one thing about the Fosters was when you do a, a soap, um, you are often looking for the surprise. And so and with six act breaks, you know, to commercial. They're like, what's the act break? And so you end up having to stretch a little bit and, and you can get, you can jump the shark fairly easily because you're always trying to find a shocking moment. And so I was thinking when I was writing the pilot was, I read the script because first we just did it straightforward and, and I thought, well, okay, this is just normal. And I thought, what about suspense? What about being able to use that to slow down the soap a little bit? So like, if you, you get the little information and you're like, huh, I wonder how that happened. And you have to watch the episode to understand how you got there. 
and um, it it's been really really fun and challenging for everybody, you know. But I realize also viewers are very sophisticated now, and they're not they're not going like, hmm, I wonder what day this is, or you know, what time in the afternoon is this? You know, they're they're following the story. So if the story makes sense, even if they're a little confused, they go with it. And I wanted people to be sort of a little sometimes confused slash intrigued, engaged, to have a mystery element. And the other thing is I wanted to, really wanted people to stop. Well, I know we live tweet, and it's a good thing for press and everything. <laughs> but, like, I don't want people on their phones. You know, I want people having to pay attention to follow the story. Also, I kind of like, just, like, as an audience member myself, you know, that they have a little bit more insight than a lot of the other characters. Like those, I remember reading this, the, the script and I, I didn't know how exactly it was gonna go over with like the whole like kind of internal scenes or moments where a scene goes one way and then you realize, oh, that was all in their head. Oh yeah, I, I love fake out. Yeah, I love those. But you know, the audience has a little bit of a secret. <laughs> I don't know, I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's fun because with, with this kind of structure, you can do a lot of stuff and get away with it. And so we, you know, we play with, that technique of that device of she didn't really say it, but we don't want to overdo it because that can get tiresome too. Um, yeah, so it's you do have that sort of sort of you can do anything when you when you set that template for the audience that hey we're going to mix this up, then it just opens up possibilities. Well, speaking of, there was the amazing tango last season. <laughs> uh oh, Maya's making a face. What does that mean? <laughs> worked so hard yeah. and it killed her. And you, you know when, when um, Malika pushes her back into the bedroom? Oh, God. Well, <laughs> poor uh, Maya smacked her head against the headboard. Oh. So Bless we literally heart. almost killed her. She like had almost a concussion and she's like, no, let's just get it done. So, and and it, it looks amazing. You did True. so great. Good, thank you. Um, the choreographer for that, Chris Scott, um, choreographed me in two movies before, so he knew what he was getting into. <laughs> so that was good. That saved me. Are we going to see some more dancing in season two? No. <laughs> no, you are. Well, I mean, oh, like, yeah. Um, Maybe. Well, yeah, we're going to see all kinds of interesting things. That There's definitely going to be things you're not going to expect. Yeah. I mean, there, de for sure. I mean, I, de I didn't want to overuse that, you know, so we're not going to be breaking into um, dance numbers, you know, fantasy dance numbers uh, every week. But, um, <laughs> but you know, when, I, when we had our set designer, Rachel Cameron, who's just brilliant, and the Coterie is such a beautiful set, and I, the first time I saw it, I thought, oh, there has to be a tango in here, <laughs> you know, and yeah, I did, because I was thinking of, like, I love in Moulin Rouge, the, the uh, Roxanne, that tango. Mm -hmm. um, and so I thought, oh, I'm going to have to figure it out somehow. And so we did. We did it. And, <laughs> We're going to have to figure and, it out. And having it be like a Callie tangoing with her conscience, you know, being pulled between two, two lovers, being pulled between two points of views politically, you know, just kind of made sense. Did you feel pulled in many directions? So many. <laughs> pulled all over the place. <laughs> Um, what I love about these two ladies, honestly, they never complain. I mean, they just do it. They're like, okay, what do I have to do? And like, you know, we made you roller skate and do oh, dance yeah. club. Derby. And, you know, we... we, 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 we made me do dance club. We made you do dance and class. Derby, right? 
Yeah. No, we didn't. No. We, we almost did. I had to skate. No, they, so they wrote the, I don't know if anyone watched the Fosters, but they wrote the Derby. Well, initially, it was supposed to be. It was going to be. Yeah. And, yeah. And I was like, uh-uh. She's like, no, no, I can't. <laughs> I can't. So we're like, but then we liked the idea of it being um, a Latina sort of group. But yeah. But it's, would you put them through a lot? No. It's not an easy show. You guys work hard. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so Sierra, has it been eye-opening playing a Latina in the in the tech industry? Did you did you know that this was such a rare thing? I I did. I got a little bit of an idea whenever um, Mariana had a kind of started it as a hobby in high school. Um, through that, I met a lot of young girls who were interested in coding and tech, and um, I realized, yeah, how how kind of rare it is, but. It's an exciting thing, and, and I think it's time to, you know, represent that on TV and, and to be able to play that role and kind of get these conversations going. I mean, what she's dealing with at work is something that is so relatable in all workplaces, and it's something that obviously needs to change. So, you know, that's been the most fun for me is fighting the patriarchy. <laughs> Overall, yeah. it's been so fun. I love the girl power. But um, no, yeah, Latinas in tech, too. Yeah, it's just it's been really fun to represent for both of those. Awesome. And the show does such an amazing job of representing so many different people and so many different uh, walks of life. And it, it is really remarkable to see a fully fleshed out bisexual man represented on television. Joanna and Maya, can you talk a little bit about developing, helping develop that and, and Gael's character? Well, when we, when we were transitioning from Fosters to Good Trouble, we realized that, you know, we were taking two cis straight uh, characters. And so it was important that we had a main character or more, of course, that to represent what we did so much in the Fosters, which is the LBGTQ I community. And so um, one thing that I always think has been interesting is um, this notion of, I think bisexuality, even within the LGBTQ community, has the, bisexual people have had a hard time because they're like, well, you can't be both. You know, people get, it doesn't matter what group you're in or, you know, what, what minority group you are in or whatever. There's always like subgroups of that, you know, and um, so one thing that so a lot of bisexual people, you know, weren't really embraced, and especially men. I think that, you know, people kind of say, oh yeah, I, I could see a woman wanting to sleep with another woman, especially because it's sexuality is very patriarchal too in very many ways. So it's like, yeah, that's hot, you know. But two two men together, you know, well, no, he's just gay and he can't, he just can't come out of the closet, so he's just saying he's bisexual, and it's really, you know, not true. And so it was important to us to explore that. And when and with Callie, it's a great character because Callie has, you know, she was um, in a relationship with a transgender male, um, and she's so she's very open-minded. And to kind of look at those, look at your own stereotypes of, of, you know, do I? And, and a lot of women are like, oh, I'd never go out with a bisexual man. But not because they're bisexual, because more competition, you know. <laughs> so th I th just thought it was very provocative and a, and a good, a ideal fit for Callie. Yeah, and I think it's good to talk about, like, you know, biphobia is such a big thing, and it's real, even with people that think they're open-minded. And so um, it was important with us 
for Cali to explore, you know, where that line is crossed and, you know, is it is it biphobic to feel threatened by, you know, other men if you're dating someone who is bi, you know. So that was important. I have a couple quick questions and then I'll, and then I'll throw it to the audience because I know you guys probably have a ton of them. Um, are we going to see some more of the Foster's friends coming back? Yes. In season two? Absolutely. Yes. Will Noah be back? I, I, I hear you. Uh-huh. I represent. <laughs> Can't disclose everyone, you know? Uh, Gotta keep it a secret. TVD. Uh, I heard he's busy right now. He's, he's maybe He-Man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm actually really looking forward and hoping we're going to see a lot more of David Lambert because I feel like his appearance in season one left a lot of story out there and I want to know more about what's happening there. So that's my, that's my pitch to Joanna that I want some more David Lambert. I wish he'll come true. <laughs> uh, and then this is a big question that I have and I, I, I imagine some of the audience does as well we haven't hit any holidays yet so what happens come Christmas for these characters do they go home to the moms <laughs> I don't know <laughs> that's all I can say I don't know <laughs> All right, and with that, I open it up to questions. I think there are some people with microphones, and if there's not, just shout really loud. We can hear you pretty well. Anybody? Come on. I know I didn't ask, ask your only question. It's going to be really awkward if no one asks a question. <laughs> then you're going to have to listen to me some more. And who wants that? Okay, right here. Thank you. How did the idea of doing the spinoff come about? Um, well, it, oh. <laughs> we, we would have done The Fosters forever. We love the show so much. Um, but for many reasons, um, you know, the show financially just couldn't go forward. And um, the network also was rebranding to be, you know, very much in the, trying to be, you know, in the 20s and tell those stories. So it really made sense when we realized, and they, and they asked us, they, they're like, we want to keep telling these stories. We, we want this to go on. You know, would you be open to spinning it off? And, um, you know, we were like, sure. And it really was sort of like, great, done. And we're like, oh, uh, we have to come up with something. <laughs> um, and... Uh, so, did I answer the question? I guess, so, so that's yeah. what happened. So, yeah. And then the idea was to jump them forward so that we could actually see them out of college and see them, you know, struggling in the world with... I, don't, I think high school shows are really popular because everybody went to high school and everybody kind of gets that. College shows have not been traditionally that successful. And so, I mean, I'm moderating the Greek panel later, so careful there. <laughs> What, Pat, for what? What, what? I'm moderating the Greek panel later, so careful. Well, oh, Greek, yeah. Well, okay, but it's not on anymore. No, no I'm know. kidding. But, um, um, <laughs> no, there was Felicity, but, you know, there haven't been out dearth. How many high school shows are there? A gazillion. You know, so I think college is a hard thing because I don't think everybody goes to college or feels like, you know, I mean, Gronish, though, is doing a great job, so I, I take it all back. Um, 
anyway, we thought it'd be interesting when you come out of school, especially they come out with very distinguished, you know, um, degrees, and you think you're hot shit, and you think you're going to go out there, and the world's going to be like, we're so happy you're here, and they're like, get coffee, and we don't care what you think. And so it was kind of fun to show that. How did you come up with the name Good Trouble? Um, John Lewis, uh, the civil rights leader and senator, um, had... Uh, says it a lot in his in his speeches that that young people that we all and but also young people have to get out there and make good trouble necessary trouble to make change which is what they did during the civil rights um, era and we loved it thought it sounded just like what we wanted to do with the show cool audience ah right here in the red So nice. <laughs> it is nice. I don't remember what it feels like to wear a backpack. <laughs> I'm like, I forgot what that was like. I know. I, I, yeah, I never thought I'd get get the chance, but here we are. <laughs> no, yeah, it, it's it's exciting. I mean, obviously, we grew up with these roles, so to now fully be our age is very exciting, and to explore that whole world because again, I have learned a lot from my character and kind of gone through everything with her. So I'm kind of doing the same thing as well, kind of taking on the adult world and seeing what that's like, all of the trials and tribulations that come along with that. And the section. That, I, you know, I, we just had a view and chew with our, with our cast and crew for this episode, and I brought my mom. Why did you do that? I don't know. Why would you was, do that? I forgot. You know, there's so many poor episodes Chris. we film. Poor, poor thing. Bless her heart. I, <laughs> it, it was an interesting one, to, to say the least. But this one, I don't know how you do it. I mean, my mom lives in Australia, so I never have to watch it with her. True. There's I that. never have to see that. Actually, no, I did go home and had to catch her up. Um, and we watched episode, um, I think it's episode five. Maybe? No. Yeah. Maybe? There's a, there's a whole bathtub situation. Oh, that one. Yeah, and I forgot that that was coming up, and I was um, sitting by my mom. That was bad. Um, but no, it's great. <laughs> right there. Yeah. It was to set up for for the show, pretty much. Um, yeah, because it, one thing that's hard too when you do a family show like that is how long could we keep them in high school? You know, it was, you know, they were all in their twenties, you know, as actors, and it, it was, and it, we we felt we had really done all the high school stories that we that we you know could do, and it's I, I love writing for you guys at your your real age because. You know, I I have a 12-year-old, you know, and, and a 9-year-old, but, I mean, like, writing, like, kids having sex at 15, you know, is a little <laughs> uncomfortable, you know, because you, you got to have something to talk about, you know, but, like, you know, you, as your children start to reach that age, you're like, and that's not what you're going to do. <laughs> Mommy writes that for television, but it is not appropriate in our home. <laughs> um, right here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so... And the Foster's Bulls have always done such a great job of working in sort of important topics and hot button issues, sort of into like the fabric of the plot. So I was wondering if there's anything that you guys haven't covered in your stories yet that you're wishing that you could work more into going forward. There's so much I, I want to write in, like because there's, I mean, God, you know, we've the news, mm -hmm. and ever since, you know, <laughs> that horrible thing that happened. Um, I mean, I'm overwhelmed with 
things I want to get to and that we all want to tell. And, and uh, you know, we're doing, this season, we're, we're doing stories about um, the pipeline to prison in schools and these uh, diversion programs that they put children of color mostly in for behavior, misbe- perceived misbehavior in school, but minor things even, like, you know, not turning in your homework. And basically, they put them on probation, and um, they have actual probation officers who can, they force the families to sign contracts, and they can come in your home and search your home. And it just, it just it's completely egregious. And these kids often end up, you know, being criminalized at a young age and end up in the social, I mean, in the criminal justice system. So we're, going, we're doing that. We're also going to talk about the homeless situation and um, housing. And, you know, like in L.A., the, um, they're building the Coliseum in Inglewood. And, of course, the developers are coming in, and they want to build retail around there, and they want to build luxury condos, and they're pushing people out of their homes. Um, so that's another thing. And, I mean, there is just no, there is just no uh, limitations to the issues that we can tackle Good luck following that one. It's a little dark. I'm going to go with this person and, yes. Uh, so when you were doing the spinoff, were there any primary cast members or prosecutors that you wanted to bring over and couldn't come? Because I know anybody who wanted to come, but it didn't make sense. Um, it just made sense. The two of them, I mean, they're all, everyone's wonderful. We couldn't bring everyone, you know, because then it would just be... Fosters again, right? So, um, Mariana and Callie just have such chemistry. They're sisters. It's a female-driven network. Um, it just made sense that those two would end up moving to LA together and living together. Sierra and I are also inseparable in real life. Like we are best friends, and our dynamic is exactly the same. She's as... a dream to work with. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, all together now. <laughs> um, you right there. Um, so there are always strong, powerful women on both the Fosters and then obviously now in Good Trouble. What did you guys learn from Terry and Sherry? Oh, so much. So much. Like everything. I remember when they came back to visit, too, we kind of felt like a weight lifted off of our shoulders. Just like, we're like, oh. They're home. Yeah. The mamas are here. We can kind of relax they can take a over. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I've learned so much just over the years, just how to carry myself on a set. I've just taking from them as an actress as well, just, you know, just how giving they are. And um, they've also just been there for us like moms and just so many life lessons. And yeah, I just love them. Yeah. They're both really powerful, but in really different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I'm more of a Terry and you're more of a share bear. Yeah. <laughs> Cause Terry's like unapologetic and outspoken and strong and Sherry's what do you need? Sherry's yeah, so supportive and steely and has this just like presence and doesn't and have to always say a thing. both at crafties. We're, we love craft yeah. services. <laughs> um I just want to make sure I'm not missing anyone in the back because of the lights. Someone way back there. Yes. It is. It is very diverse. It needs to be more so. That's a goal that I'm working towards. Um, yeah, it's really important. Um, 
You know, what, one thing I've said before, which is that um, I believe that writers of color can write white characters very easily because, let's face it, they live in a very white-dominated, white supremacy world, and they've seen white characters on TV, and they, you know, that's, that's the reality. I don't think that white writers can write a black character or a Latina character or an Asian character authentically. So if they're not represented in the room, I just think that's, um, you know, that's, that's a problem. And I, I think that one thing that we want on the show is as much authenticity as, as possible. So um, I think that we need more of it. Uh, and, you know, there will, I will continue to do that. Yeah. Um, right here in the red. I was so team Browley. I was too. <laughs> really? You guys love incest? <laughs> okay. They weren't real. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> Let me live. <laughs> um, we decided pretty early on that that we were, that, that it was never there was never going to be that the, that they were going to be brother and sister and be family um, adoptive but be family over romantic. Um, we just felt that was more in keeping with the message of our show and also the responsible message about foster care um, because there is a lot of abuse in foster care and we certainly didn't want to and it's not to say that it's abusive but it's also just not appropriate. Um, for those lines to be crossed. So that was important to us to maintain that. Um, did we... Well, we, we, we didn't know we were wrapping up the series when we were breaking the final season. So things had to shift. We also got extra episodes um, to do it in and then rolled right into Good Trouble. So it was a lot of work at, at that time. But... Um, yeah, so we... You haven't stopped since. Yeah, no. we have not. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I can rest when I'm dead. So. These are good problems. Uh, we got time, I think, for one more. She's Unless... had her hand up for a minute. Go for it. Um, being that you guys like, did grow up with your characters, was there anything that you find yourself Everything I'm wearing right now belongs to Callie's closet. <laughs> Literally. That's true. Like, I raided her closet. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the longer we've all worked together, the more I think, you know, the writer's room writes for us as well. Um, so you know our language, the way we speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I mean, I, I would like to think I'm, I'm very Mariana. A, a lot of moments, too. Just, like... I'll watch it and I'm like, oh my god, that's so mean. You are pretty cringy too. I'm pretty. Cr I have at least one cringe moment every day. Yes, you do. <laughs> so yeah, that, there's that. I would like to think I have my shit together a little more than Callie does. <laughs> <laughs> you do. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. she's, you you're not impulsive in, in this way that Callie is. But Callie's impulsivity has 
has matured, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and she's, I think the fact that she, um, wait, I'm going to figure out where we are, because I'm so ahead in my head. <laughs> oh, we don't know that yet. Never mind. <laughs> the TV Campfire is produced by <laughs> yeah. Caitlin McFarland, Emily Gibson, and AJ Myers, along with our audio partner, Five Ohm Productions. Mark your calendars. ATX TV Festival Season 9 is happening June 4th through 7th, 2020 in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit atxfestival.com and follow us on social media at ATX Festival. And be sure to check out our episode notes for a very special discount on badges exclusive to the TV Campfire podcast listeners. As always, please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast. And stay tuned for even more exclusive releases each week.